0: We welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Sir Brad Howyer. <laughs> our weekend celebration of Brad's uh, master's degree, we he, he decided he would go with Sir Brad Hallier for the rest of the duration.
1: Well, I've already asked my wife if I get my doctorate, which uh, is probably not going to happen, but... Uh, you never know. I heck, I never thought I'd get my master's degree, but I said if I get my doctorate, will you call me Dr. Hallier? And she's like, No. No. Well,
0: <laughs> that sounded like a pretty resounding no to me.
1: Yeah, it was it was very quick and to the point, as if the like that's not even a thought in my head.
0: Well, a lot to get to tonight. We'll probably our next episode it will be uh football heavy. We'll be looking um at uh, Friday night. Well, this year, probably some Thursday, Friday, even some Saturday, high school football. Uh, KCAC will get underway here in a couple of weeks, so we'll have a football-heavy uh, podcast next time. This one, Brad, I think we probably got to start off with baseball as uh, the NBC tournament wrapped up this past Saturday in Wichita at X Stadium. And to say it was an upset was probably... A, the biggest understatement of the year, Brad, as the Hutchison Monarchs at one time five and 12 on the season, got the last bid to the tournament. They ran through the tournament undefeated and took out perennial power, Santa Barbara in the championship game, 6-3 to claim their first ever, championship at the nbc and you were there after your uh, celebration of your masters you went down there brad tell us about it That had to be something kind of almost surreal
1: yeah it really was i mean the monarchs uh, they celebrated their 15 year anniversary this year and they they've usually been pretty good scott let's not discount oh, yeah. uh, how good that they've been through the years um they're an nbc regular they're always competing for the league championship but They've never even so much as made it to a championship game. I want to say they maybe made the semifinals once. I know they finished uh, uh, fifth, maybe even fourth once. Uh, but, you know, point being is that they're not on the level of a Santa Barbara. Um, and there's a lot of Hutch folks there. I mean, there's was definitely a decisive pro-Hutch crowd. And, you know, going back to even that first game where they came from behind late to beat the Hayes Lark 6-4, to four, uh, from that moment, I mean, their offense just, you know, ran wild throughout the tournament. You know, they they won and they scored those six runs in the last four innings. They scored four in the eighth and two in the 11th to win that one. But, uh, you know, beyond that, Scott, they just really, their uh, offensively, they just ran roughshod through everybody in the tournament. You know, they scored 12 runs on the Legends out of Texas. They scored 11 runs on Lone Star out of Texas. They scored 12 runs on the Seattle Blackfins. They scored 17 runs. On from the five-two kraken out of Texas. So the only games they didn't score at least 11 runs were against the Hayes Larks and NBC Blue Blood and the Santa Barbara Foresters, maybe the NBC Blue Blood. And you know, Scott, the the, the Foresters were just littered with Division One town. They had <laughs> well over 20 Division One players, and it's kind of funny. You know, the 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 Foresters were the visiting team. So they got introduced first, and they introduce everybody on the roster for the championship game and tell everybody what school they go to. You're hearing Michigan, Arkansas, Arizona, Oregon, Michigan, uh, UNLV. I mean, you're hearing all these Division I, Power Five schools. And then you get to Hutch, Friends University, Cloud County Community College, Nickerson High School, Hutchinson Community College, Pittsburgh State, Emporia State. And my dad just said, do you think these Santa Barbara guys are looking over there and saying, where, where, where's that school? What, what did he say? Where is that exactly? Did they get the Little River High School? Uh, no, I, no, I I actually don't remember hearing the Little River High School. I know that's where Mance plays yeah. or play, played at. Uh, they probably did. I don't recall hearing everybody. <laughs> but um, it just goes to show what the Monarchs were up against, Scott. I mean – I told my brother, it's like this. I think the Monarchs maybe have had one or two guys reach the big leagues in their fifteen years. And at the same time, I'm going to guess the Foresters probably have one or two guys every year that end up playing Major League Baseball. And they actually had the the player who is named the most likely to play Major League Baseball at that at this year's spring, kind of a, an award that they give from a Major League scout. So they they were they were really up against it. Uh, I know that their offense has been playing well, but. I mean, Scott, I mean, there was no reason to think that Santa Barbara wasn't not just favorable. We're going to win this game. they had won 20 in a row at the at the NBC World Series. They had won three championships in a row. They had won eight of the last 12 and 10 overall all this century. I mean, this wasn't just a mountain to climb mean, this was Everest for the Monarchs to climb. And they went at six to three in a game that they never trailed.
0: Yeah, I think I looked at your write-up
1: yesterday, and I believe it was twenty-three
0: Division One players for Santa Barbara, and was it nine for Hutchinson?
1: Yeah, and most of them, I believe, are from uh, Wichita State.
0: Okay, I mean, I mean, I know they got several from Wichita State last year, and I, I knew that
1: were some of those
0: late arriving this year. To, you know, when they got off to that slow start.
1: Yeah, they uh, they did have a few join late. I know. The, uh, I think it was uh, the Weesey kid, Sam Weesey. I think he's from Heston College, actually, but he wasn't on the roster until the last uh, few weeks of the season. There's another one who signed, signed with Nebraska. I think it's the boot back kid who signed uh, with Nebraska. So yeah, it, there, there were quite a few guys that they added late, or I shouldn't say quite a few. There were there were a few guys that they added late, which is common in summer baseball. You know, a kid's season ends, he wants to play more baseball. Hey, who's down an opening? Okay, well, I'll, I'll go play for you then, so. That's actually common in these summer baseball teams, but I mean, it just, it didn't really make much sense to think that I, I, re, I remember thinking Scott, that if the Monarchs are going to win this game, they're going to have to keep hitting. They're going to have to win this game, you know, nine to eight or something like that. But boy, I tell you what, the, the, the pitching that they got uh, a blue dragon named Cole Terrell just went out there and through the game of his life, seven of the third innings, two runs, six hits, no walks, six strikeouts, uh, he, he was just sensational uh, in the sixth in or in the seventh inning. The, uh, the foresters had gotten on the board. It's four to one and they got two on with one out and uh, monarch's manager, Casey Lippold in his first season pays a visit. Everyone's expecting, okay, this is it. You know, he's pitched a great game. We're going to give him a standing ovation. They're going to go to the bullpen you know, the, the foresters are starting to hit him pretty well. And imagine the surprise when he left him in. Well, Colt Rowe then goes, pop-up, strike out to the end the inning. And his reaction when he struck out the last batter, I mean, he was pumping his fist all the way to the dugout, screaming. I mean, it was just a great reaction. Uh, he actually got an out in the eighth inning before he was pulled after giving up another run. And he got a big ovation, hugged everybody on the staff or on the on the infield, hugged his catcher. It was just an unbelievable scene. And then it's that ninth inning when the Monarchs, you know, Reed Scott goes one, two, three, retiring two power five players, <laughs> three division one players, you know, a guy from little Beeler high school in central Kansas, uh, mowing down the powerful Santa Barbara foresters in the ninth inning. It was really the ultimate underdog story winning this.
0: It really was. I mean, I, I think it was 19 and 17 was their record. Um, when the tournament started, they got the third, um, spot out of the Jayhawk, um, collegiate summer league here in Kansas. And, uh, I don't think we were surprised that they, they won a couple games, you know, in pool play, but to, to go the distance, I mean, I I was sitting there Saturday evening um, tuned over to the very tail end of that game, just thinking, well, let's, you know, I was even of the mindset, well, let's see how far Santa Barbara's ahead. And I, and I see that final out. It's like, I, I I was stunned. I really was. And um, I'm sure it was a stunning. um, Did you think they were making a mistake leaving him in, um, in that inning and letting him finish out that inning. A lot of people probably were on the edge of their seat when, when the manager went back to the dugout.
1: Yeah. Without making the pitching change. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? That's kind of the mentality that the Monarchs have had, you know, through the years with their different coaches, starting with Pat Hillbolt and then going to uh, coach Ealing after that, you know, who went to, who was coaching at McPherson college and then coach McHugh, of course. I mean, Darren, was uh the ultimate people or the ultimate players coach and you know Casey Liphold haven't had a chance to really get to know him that well but he essentially said look I, you know what he probably looked in his eyes can can you finish this inning what do you have left and he probably said I got it left you know I I've, I've got something left here for you coach and to have that kind of trust I mean it, it could have backfired well sure it could have uh, but it didn't and he got two very quiet outs to the end of the inning and you know, you make a decision like that, you're 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 either a genius or you're a dummy and here Casey Lipple <laughs> looks like a, a a pure genius.
0: Yeah, he, he he does especially in his first season. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about kind of the future of summer baseball. We we touched on it when the NBC began that and and this is this is no knock on Hutch whatsoever. We talked about how the tournament's a little more watered down than it used to be just for the fact of um a financial situation for a lot of summer teams that possibly would qualify from other places in the country just can't afford um to come stay several nights in wichita so a few more kansas teams get in um and we we've seen we talked about um some of the summer teams struggle with keeping their roster a lot of kids go home early and um, that hurts some of the teams. So, so where do you think the NBC and the summer leagues, as a whole, kind of stand uh, now that we, we've wrapped up the 2023 season?
1: Well, right now the NBC is 16 teams. I mean, there's a time it was, uh, you know, I came to Hutch in 2004, and there's a time it was north of 40 teams, and it was just a straight double elimination tournament then. And now it's uh, 16 teams, pool play, top 12 uh, or top three teams from each pool advance, make 12 teams and you go single elimination. And, you know, the thing is, is that it kind of started with the great recession and then it moved on with COVID. And I kind of got the feeling that, you know, some of these summer programs were probably going to, it was probably gonna become more regionalized, I guess is what I'm saying, Scott, you know, the Alaska teams were no longer coming. I, I don't know if they're still officially a part of the NBC. Uh, they are listed on the website, the Alaska Baseball League, but I don't know if they're still, because they haven't been to the NBC in years, uh, the Alaska champion. It may even been since the recession when Alaska would come. Uh, the only West Coast teams, uh, two teams came from Seattle this year, the Studs, who, of course, are there every year, and the Blackfans, and then you had, of course, the Foresters. Uh, but I was looking at the California Collegiate League, Uh, There's some good teams in there. You know, the, the, the foresters lost 10 games. I was looking Mm -hmm. at some of the rosters. I mean, there's, there's every team in that league has, you know, uh, a plethora of division one talent, but yet it's only the foresters coming here. So, you know, I'm going to guess again, like you said, financially, some of those teams probably just can't travel to Wichita. And so you got the influxy Kansas teams, you got you know a couple Colorado teams, and then you got Oklahoma and Texas. Even the Mink League, Scott, no longer sends their champion to the NBC. Uh, the Mink League is uh, like with the St. Joe Mustangs and teams from Joplin and uh, Chillicothe, Missouri, and uh, the, the Clarinda A's up in Iowa. There's usually some teams in Nebraska. So it's a well established, long uh, time league, and they're just independent now. They just have a postseason series to crown their champion and call it good. You know, you got the Northwoods League, the Cape Cod League. I mean, it's just very regionalized these days. Mm-hmm. And I just think the, the days of a true national champion for summer collegiate baseball is probably over for now. Um, what does the NBC do to try to get more teams? I, I really don't know what they can do, Scott. I mean, if you're going to – I guess I can I ask you, what can they do? Especially when you got leagues like the Mink League, who's no, you know, a, a regional league, you know, with teams mainly from Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa, even they're not sending teams to the World Series. It's a tough one because you know now they have a.
0: I don't know if the SBS, the, the Summer Ball Showdown, that takes place about the same time there in Goddard. Um, I don't know if you want to call that a direct competitor, but they might grab some teams that would otherwise. Um, potentially come to the NBC, but I, I don't know how big of an effect that's had on the NBC itself. Um, I, I don't have a good answer. Um, th- financially, it's just such a, we see the teams here in Kansas, you know, if, if the bottom line says you broke even for the summer, I think most of the owners are very happy about that. Um, and it's, it's, it's just hard to get the gate and all of that, and it's all sponsorship driven. If you if you have the sponsors, you know you can make it work. If you don't, um, you're likely not going to last long. And um, I don't know the NBC. I don't know how how they can get creative. Um, you know they're central. They're they're about as central as you can get as far as travel to try to draw from a bigger area. Um, I don't have a good answer. Um, it, it's still a good tournament, but it, it's certainly you and I can remember we'd see, you know, highlights of the NBC for two, two and a half weeks on the evening news. You know, now it's played within a, a week's time. Um, boy, I just don't have a good answer.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's tough to say. Um, I mean, I remember the Jasper, Indiana Reds, uh, teams from Carolina would come up. Uh, I just think, you know, I thought the Kansas Stars, when they had the ex-major league teams, was maybe a little too gimmicky for my taste. You know, I'd like to see the up-and-coming college kids playing instead of, you know, uh, you know, retired MLB stars. I mean, look, it was, it was a great promotion, it, and it was obviously popular. And, of course, those kids can forever say they played against, uh, you know, Chipper Jones and guys like that. Uh, I don't know, Scott. I mean, they've had some deals before where the, the NJCAA piece together an all-star team. Can they maybe get, like, a, an all-star team of NAI stars or um, – can they maybe get like a national team? Like maybe, uh, you know, can they maybe like call up, uh, gosh, I can't even think of a of a nation, like maybe uh, Nicaragua or something like that or Costa Rica, you know, hey, can you guys come up and barnstorm this summer and play in our World Series? I, you know, I, I just don't know what the answer is uh, to try to generate some more interest. But I will say this much, some of those Kansas teams do travel well, Scott. You know, the Monarchs always had a very good crowd and the Hayes Larks really showed out their fans as well i mean it was very impressive uh i guess maybe my biggest complaints with the nbc more than anything else I mean, i think they're doing the best they can uh it, it, it i think the atmosphere is just a little flat there i think a, a smaller venue would really do well uh hence, hence hutchinson uh, uh-huh. obviously they're gonna have to do some serious renovations for that to even be a feasible a feasibility but I think all things considered, the the NBC does as well as they can for tough for a tough situation. I think a lot of these leagues, uh, summer leagues, are not going to come back. Uh, so what do they do? I, I think they're doing the best they can, all things considered.
0: I do as well. So we'll uh, maybe we'll brainstorm a little bit uh, ideas to save the NBC um, at uh, a later date. But again, congratulations to uh, the Blackhams and the Hutchison Monarchs, uh, champions of the. 2023 NBC tournament. Well, we can go from the good baseball to bad baseball if you want to, Brad. You want to talk about the Royals? No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually showed some signs of life that is yep. refreshing Holt. had, a, I believe it was a seven-game winning streak. Um, still the second-worst record in baseball, but trying to pull away from the A's for that dreaded spot down there. And they're 38 and 81, um, still very surprised they weren't players at the trade deadline, um, which is, I guess, even more puzzling to me, Brad. You thought they might try to you know, get some more draft picks or, or some young players or something at the trade deadline. And it just continues to leave us scratching our head.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they maybe tried and just didn't like what they saw uh let's be honest so they don't really have a ton of pieces either do they scott <laughs>
0: yeah, they didn't have a lot you know i thought uh, the the uh, current closer scott barlow i believe um was mentioned the most um i think
1: drinky has made it clear he wants to finish his career in kansas city
0: yeah and it would have been hard for me to see <clears throat> being a real attractive trade piece um, Yeah. Uh, you know he thought he thought about salvi is there a contender out there that needed a uh, a veteran catcher slash dh for a for a pennant run um, that didn't happen I, I never really thought um, Bobby Witt, they'd seriously consider I still think they think he's the the future of this team the trouble the trouble with that if they don't put something around him when his first contract is up um, I don't know. Uh, i I just I still am very surprised that that they didn't do any any moving, but I guess that just goes with the rest of the season so
1: far. Well, I think Bobby Witt became the first player in major league baseball history to start his career with back to back twenty home run, thirty stolen base seasons. Uh, it's actually been done very few times back to back twenty thirty seasons like that, Scott. And he's up to two seventy six now, his batting average, and he hit an inside the park home run tonight. Uh, but you know, I, I and I hate to say this, but we've seen this through the years though, haven't we? Where a really crappy Royals team actually starts playing better towards the end and you get your hopes up that maybe that's the the spring portion next year, then they start five and fifteen and it's all over. So on one hand, good to see them playing better, good to see Bobby Witt really starting to play like the megastar that he, he might very well be. But we've seen this uh we've seen this dance before.
0: We have seen this dance, but I, I will tell you, you oh you really do feel like Bobby Witt is the real deal. You see the average coming up. You see the power, the speed. I mean, he has. If, if you talk about the intangibles, he's got them all.
1: Um, he's well, he got a zest for the game too, Scott. He just seems like he has fun out there.
0: He plays like a kid. I yeah, mean,
1: it reminds me a lot of Hosmer. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the the glory days. We we <laughs> we Royals fans have to bask in those as we have a. Um, we have a lot of tough time between the glory days. So the Royals again, 38 and 81 um, currently winning tonight, five nothing at home uh, against Seattle. Uh, another good little trivia piece for you here, Brad. I'm gonna see if you can have any idea who this was. I don't think I would have remembered this, but there's only been four players. Uh, in the history of the major leagues to have uh, 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases in the same season. And there's never been a 50-50 um, accomplished in the major leagues. But from June 18th of 1986 through July 10th of 1987, so 162-game span, there was a player during that span and see if you remember who this is that hit forty-nine homers, and stole ninety-three bases, and hit three oh seven. So I mean, you're you're darn close. You're a homer away from fifty, and almost a hundred in stolen bases. Any idea who this was? Can you say what the time frame was again? June eighteenth of eighty-six to July tenth of eighty-seven.
1: It's a little bit before Bo Jackson, so it's not yeah. Bo.
0: I'll give you a hint. He played for the Cincinnati Reds.
1: Give me just a second here. If you say Chris Sabo, I'm going to hit my head against the wall. It was not Chris Sabo. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh,
0: Man, Eric Davis. You got it. Eric the Red Davis, again, from that 162-game span, nearly was a 5,100 guy, 49 homers, 93 stolen bases, and again, the 307 uh, batting average. And unfortunately, Brad, um, injuries and cancer um, really short-circuited his career. But uh, you've heard some of the scholars of the game said th- this could have been a top five player of all time. Not, not just top five player in Reds history, all time. Um, if he had stayed healthy, when you look at those numbers and look at what he did, again, you kind of feel like um, a, a little bit smaller version of Ken Griffey Jr. Because if Ken Griffey Jr., in my opinion, had he played a full career healthy, oh, goodness. Uh, he may have gotten 800 home runs. M- move move over record holders because he would have had a bunch of them. Um, and I kind of feel like Eric Davis was could have been that guy as well, it, it, but that that's that's an incredible span to to put up those kind of numbers over 162 games.
1: Yeah, we're, there there's a time in the late 80s where we were blessed with a lot of guys with that kind of speed and power but maybe didn't quite pan out. Um Darryl Strawberry, I know, he had a good career, just not probably as good as what we thought it would be when it started. Uh Bo Jackson is another one, obviously with the injuries he's sustained. Jose Canseco who went more into the uh the heavy stuff. Um <laughs> than anything else but you know we, we were really that, that, that was a good era of uh, speed and power
0: it was it really
1: was there, w- there was some
0: fun very memorable players from from that area but uh, again a uh, uh, incredible span there put up uh, by eric davis uh, again from june 18th of 86 to july 10th of 87 uh, another little trivia here too Brad but it's approached it a little different way who would you consider the greatest of all time in
1: the nba well i mean i i would say michael jordan um i would also you know listen to easy arguments for uh bill russell probably uh wilt chamberlain obviously and i think those are the three that would readily come to mind uh I, I do think that in my while I you know give him a hard time, LeBron James is definitely a top ten, maybe top five player of all time. I wouldn't put him above those other three though.
0: Well, I would I would preface it this way: most accomplished, that's obvious. It's Bill Russell with the chips, you know, all those championships with those Celtic teams. But Michael Jordan, I came across this in a thirty-two month span. I believe this was during his first run. With the Bulls. A 32-month span, he won three championships, three scoring titles, two MVPs, three finals MVPs, three all-defensive first team in the NBA. And you know how many games he missed?
1: Two. Zero.
0: (laughs) No load management? Show me a guy today that's going to play to anywhere close to that level and never take a night off
1: and see that's what i think if, if i could compare that drive to win i think michael jordan was one of the few i mean larry bird magic johnson those guys just had a hunger to win it really drove them and actually i'm not even gonna say it was a hunger to win it was a anger of losing that that probably drove them more than anything else john Arch just once told me that i asked him once I said, what, what did you, what, 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 like drove you more, you know, the, 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 thrill of winning or the fear of losing. And he said without hesitation, the fear of losing mm-hmm. is what drove him. Uh, but the one guy that I think that I would compare that drive right now in, in, in the sports world is Patrick Mahomes. It just seems like he's just got that thirst to be better than he was last year. I don't think that he's necessarily driven at least outwardly by Tom Brady, seven rings, but I do think that Patrick Mahomes looks every year and thinks, okay, last year was great. How can I be better this year?
0: Yeah, he he, he does seem to have that. I, I don't – in my lifetime, you know, I, I haven't watched much NBA the last few years when – when the the politics got brought into it too much, it, it really lost me. But I, I've I've never seen anybody like Michael Jordan. I mean, not just not just the skills, but like you talked about that that sheer drive and tenacity. You could just see it every time he went on the floor. If if somebody was going to beat him, it, it was going to take um, a monumental maybe once-in-a-lifetime effort because that, that guy just willed his team to win. And I, I don't know if we're ever going to see that again.
1: No, it's just a different time. And I'm not saying it's a better or worse time, but you know the, thought, the, the prospect of load management, it, I mean, Michael Jordan would it, – it, it would be just completely foreign to him. I, I remember seeing in that uh, the 30-for-30 30 10-part 30 series, The Last Dance, Mm -hmm. The year he missed almost entirely due to injury and then came back at the very end, got the Bulls into the playoffs, got swept by the Celtics. But I think that was his uh, 63-point game against the Celtics uh, in the playoffs. I want to say that there was a time late in the season where the Bulls kind of had a must-win game against somebody, you know, another team that they're competing with. And they were trying to manage Jordan's minutes, you know, to get him back healthy and just kind of take care of him. And he was getting mad about it. You know, he's like, look, I, I want to play. They're like, Michael, you, you, you can't. We, you know, we're not going to risk long ter- long-term, uh, you know, health, for you know, just to win a game tonight. And he, he didn't want to hear it. He wanted to get out there and play.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. What uh, what was your impression of the Chiefs' first exhibition game uh, played on Sunday, 26-24 loss on a – uh, Last-second field goal by the Saints. What did you think of the Chiefs' exhibition opener?
1: Oh, I don't know, Scott. I had it on for background purposes mainly. I'd look up every now and then, and then I had to leave to go referee some games in Wichita. Uh, boy, it was hot. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, it was good to see the, the the second stringers kind of come back and make it a game. And I know that there are some good uh, some some guys who were trying to fight fight for a spot on the team who had uh, good games out there. Uh, Blaine Gabbard actually, I think, had a couple nice-looking passes out there. Uh, heck, uh, there's no better job in the world than backup quarterback. I mean, Chase Daniels made himself a heck of a career out of that. Uh, interesting enough, Scott, did you know Blaine Gabbard and Patrick Mahomes were both selected 10th in their respected NFL respected NFL drafts?
0: I did not remember where Gabbard went.
1: Well, now you know. He was taken the same position as Patrick Mahomes. Wow.
0: Boy. That's that's something to put on your resume, but yeah, I tell people it's it's so hard to get excited or to poo poo, especially a first um, exhibition game. It used to be when they had the four exhibition games, you could pretty much you could tell a lot more about the third game because that's when the starters would play. Um, usually well into the second quarter, maybe a half. You get a little bit better idea of what the team was going to look like. Now that's probably the second game and they only play three. Um, so, so I, you know, all those years, the cow, the Cowboys were so good in the nineties, they they rarely won a preseason game. Um, so you just can't, you can't put a lot of stock in it unless you have three preseason games and they stink, stink it up all three preseason games. and They don't have any good, any good moments. So, um, yeah, you like the fight out of the the young guys that are trying to battle for a spot on the team, um, you know. But when the starters play, you know, one series, I, I don't, I don't get too overly excited one way or the other.
1: Well, because of the nature of the NFL schedule, uh, oftentimes these preseason games are cross conference, you know, AFC against NFC. And I kind of went back and I saw one team kind of actually owns the Chiefs in the preseason, the Chicago Bears.
0: Yeah. I think they actually do play during the regular season this year.
1: Which, yeah, that's why they're not playing them in the preseason. So, uh, But, yeah, like, like in the last five years, the Chiefs have lost three games to the Bears in the preseason or something like that.
0: So we'll, we'll keep track. We'll, we'll pay a little bit more attention to that second game and third game to see when cuts are made and um, some of the new guys that will be on the, the Chiefs roster um, when they open the season. And we'll talk a lot more about the Chiefs. I'm going to throw a little curve at you here, Brad. um, We do have one main big topic I want to get to here in a little bit, but I wanted wanted to get my opinion and get your impression. Uh, A lot of people know that the the World Cup uh, and soccer is going on right now, the Women's World Cup, um, and I think most people that follow it um, at all know of the uh, very disappointing uh, performance of the United States women's national team um getting knocked out in the round of 16 this year brad i i I don't know if i'll probably i'll probably ruffle some feathers i'm gonna do it anyhow it's our podcast so what the heck (laughs) um i was incredible and this has been going on i think for close to a year or two now brad this particular team the makeup of this team has just not felt right um and and you've seen it on the field um the experts will analyze, you know, they don't look like they're playing the game. It didn't just seem like there wasn't chemistry. Um, the teamwork wasn't there and you know, this wasn't to me surprising. They, they, they had not played well over the last year or two. Um, they played four games in this world cup, Brad, they won once in the world cup this year, they were one, one and two and they had to get really mad in one game just to get a tie. Um, it seemed like, you know, and this is a this is a program, Brett. every year at the World Championships or the World Cup. This has always been the team to beat. This is the barometer is this program. If you can beat the United States women's national team, you've really done something. And and this year, again, the last couple of years, it's felt like. A lot of a few of the individuals on the team got a lot more concerned about things off the field, whether it was the social agenda they wanted to push or whatever it was. It just seemed like it was a distracted team that never really had the chemistry. And and I think it's really time to take a hard look. I know they got rid of the coach. They're going to get a new coach. Um, some of the players have already retired from this team. It really feels like it's time to take a good hard look and kind of reset this women's national team because it, it was a real disappointment this year and in, in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, on one hand, I do I do say let's not forget they are, you know, removed from three you know three straight, <clears throat> geez, three straight championship <laughs> game appearances and back to back championships. So. I don't want to have quite a sky is falling, but, but it's been a pretty hard last couple of years. They didn't do well at the Olympics. They got the bronze, uh, lost to Canada in the semifinals. We won the gold medal and uh, they, they beat Vietnam three, nothing big whoop. <laughs> um, they played, they played pretty, pretty well in the second half against the Netherlands tied that game looked listless against Portugal and, and were three inches away from being eliminated. If Portugal had scored a late goal instead of hitting the post, the USA would have been out. Played pretty well against Sweden. I will say that even though they lost on penalty kicks, they actually played pretty well against Sweden. But just – it was pretty pretty typical. No, no one should have been surprised because the makeup of the team, I, I didn't like it. Uh, Megan Rapinoe has done a lot of great things with the national team. She had no business being on this year's team in any capacity. Alex Morgan, loved her. I, I spent a lot of years – I was a fan of hers before uh, anybody really knew who she was because I just loved the way she played. Should have been on the team, but not as a starter. Uh, she just doesn't have it anymore. She did not have the speed. She did not have the ability to score like she used to. Uh, it, I don't know. I, I, I don't – I'm not overly optimistic about the future – uh, women's soccer in this country i think a lot of countries are starting to get more serious we've seen that with the african countries um i've long said if brazil even took it half serious they'd have probably three championships by now uh we're seeing uh spain and i mean scott spain spain isn't even close to having their full team there and they're in the semifinals they've had uh, some players with it in a dispute with their federation and they aren't even there um Japan had one of the youngest teams in the World Cup, and you know, they made it to the quarterfinals. So it's it's they're going to take, take a hard look at some things with the women's team. I think the men's team is uh, in a much better position. And how often have we actually said that, Scott? And I'm being serious. When you look at how many men's players are playing over in Europe right now and hosting the World Cup in 26, uh, the coaching situation leaves a lot to be desired. But I really think right now that the men's team is in a better position.
0: Boy, it's been a long time since... Did that
1: yeah probably before there was even a women's team <laughs>
0: uh, yeah well I, I just wanted to confirm I wasn't alone on you know I'm, I'm certainly you, you, you you've learned more soccer than I've ever known for sure and I, I but just it that's just the feeling I had what the little bit that I followed it, it just it just seemed like it's time for, time for a hard reset um, yeah for this
1: uh, uh, 100% agree with you on that Scott I think a hard reset is actually the best way of putting it
0: so the United States women's national team getting uh, beat out in the round of 16 this year in the women's world cup, uh, big topic for this week, Brad, the last time we had our podcast, uh, we talked a little bit about the, the the future of the the big 12 and the, and the major conferences. And then uh, to say, everything all broke loose shortly after our last podcast is an understatement as, um, It went from the Pac-12, they're down to four teams. The Big 12's up to 16. The Big 10, I think, now has 18. And things just, it was just complete chaos, Brad. Um, For people that don't know, after Colorado committed to the Big 12 uh, shortly after that following, uh, came in Arizona. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Oregon. And so I've got my head still spinning here from all of this. They came in and then also leaving Washington and uh, went to the Big Ten. And who else went to the Big Ten?
1: Uh, was it uh, – we had the two California schools.
0: Uh, UCLA and USC already had, but then two more. Yeah.
1: Pretty sure Oregon went right.
0: Yeah. Who, who went uh, – Arizona and Utah, excuse me, I misspoke. I think I said Oregon went to the um, Big 12. Oregon and oh, I'm Washington,
1: sorry, I thought you meant Big 10. My fault, my fault.
0: Yeah, Oregon and Washington go to the Big 10, and Arizona and Utah end up um, in the Big 12, leaving the Pac-12. I guess let's start, let's start there. I, I, I don't think I was surprised at this, as some people were, Brad, for the sheer fact that the Pac-12 has done this to themselves by not – securing a media deal past this year or having a media deal that looked anywhere appealing and these schools knowing that without a new media deal in place that there's no exit fee to leave after this season um pac-12's got nobody to blame but itself for for this mass exodus at least in my opinion
1: well First of all, Scott, why is the Big 12 like so, so, suddenly turned into public enemy number one with all this? <laughs> I I, 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 everyone's whining about, oh, this is so bad. Why is the Big 12? The Big 12 wasn't the one who started this, man. No. I mean, I, I, I just don't get Yeah, the Pac-12 has no one to blame but themselves. and I mean, they're talking about an Apple TV deal. I mean, are really? Are you serious? I mean, this isn't Major League Soccer. This is college football, you know, one of the biggest booming industries in the United States. I mean you got the NFL, and then you probably have college football after that you know, when it comes to sports. So, no, no Apple TV deal is going to make anybody happy. So, uh, yeah, they really got no one to blame but themselves. I, I don't feel sorry for them if for no other reason. I mean, as Big 12 fans, Scott, we've been on the other end of this. I mean, the Big 12 obituary was written twice, and not only did it survive, but it's thriving now. And I'm sorry, I, it's just the way the game is now. I do have a radical idea for realignment, but I'll, I'll wait to get to that until you're ready to talk about it.
0: Okay. Um, well, let's let's first talk about what's left and what's next for the Pac-12. Uh, that leaves, and again, my head's still spinning, so I couldn't remember where everybody went. The remaining schools, Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford. A um, lot of story was out there that Cal and Stanford – We're going to get invited to the ACC, which again, (laughs) the Atlantic coast conference, (laughs) I I despise, um, you know, conferences that have teams on both coasts, um, that met with a a lot of resistance and roadblocks. Um, there was at least five ACC schools that were not in favor of that. So it kind of looks like for right now, that is dead in the water for Cal and Stanford, um, they've talked about and geographically makes sense, um, to join the mountain West. But again, they're in, the problem is the financial loss as far as the current media deal that they would be joining when the mountain West is, uh, far lower. I think I saw, uh, I think they were making somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 million per school. And I think the mountain West currently is somewhere around six, um, So I think that's a huge concern. Um, The coaches, I know uh, Stanford coaches talked about, um, they want to remain in a a situation where they're in a quote-unquote power five conference to have a chance to compete um, for a national championship. Um, I've also seen uh, the possibility, and this really gets complicated, about merging the two conferences but basically dissolving – the Mountain West, and then them, all those members going in with the, the last four into the Pac-12, but then there's there's all sorts of hoops to jump through for that. Um, I, I've heard a little talk about maybe Stanford uh, going independent for football and joining another conference, maybe the Mountain West, maybe the the West Coast Conference, something like that for all their other sports. Um, But there's nothing right now that seems real obtainable without um, an arduous process. Uh, I just don't know what feels most likely for those four remaining members because they just can't start grabbing schools to bring, bring in because it just won't work.
1: Yeah, they're in a pretty tough predicament right now, Scott. Um, I think someone like Stanford could potentially go independent for a little bit, but, I mean, they don't have the national brand that um, Notre Dame does or even someone like BYU does. So I, it's, a tough, it's a tough situation. I mean, this is why when Kansas and the Big 12 was kind of up in the air, that's why I was saying, you know, if the Big Ten had come calling, I would say tell Kansas to go. You just can't. I just didn't want Kansas to be without a conference and essentially be in a situation like you see with Cal and Stanford right now,
0: yeah. And and, I mean, because now you let's look at the current Big 12 with all those schools, um, coming in, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, um, now all being in the in the big 12, I mean, and this happened in a hurry. Um, What do you see as the future? And, and, and I have heard, again, this is just rumbling of the potential of inviting the other four PAC 12 members and becoming the first conference with 20 teams in it and kind of get ahead of the big 10 and the SEC. Um, Again, People that listen to our podcast know I hate what we're talking about right now. I hate mega conferences. I hate non-geographic conferences. Eventually, I will get over it because it's it's what we're it's what we're faced with today. But I'm not quite there yet. But w- what do you think the future of the Big 12 is going to look like?
1: Well, I think the Big 12. I'm, I'm not. Uh, is it possible they could suck up those last four teams? I mean, I guess anything is possible in this day and age. But I think the, I think the Big 12 is going to be pretty happy with what they've got. Um, The only way I could see that happening is if, um, you know, maybe the current schools, you know, east of Colorado would say, as long as we don't have to play them very much or something like that. Yeah, we're fine with that. Uh, But I I don't know. I think right now those four schools are just kind of in no man's land.
0: Yeah. I, I, I guess if I had to pick one of the options we've talked about, it just feels like that they, they find a way to merge with the Mountain West, but again, they're going to take a, a hit in the shorts as far as finances and media deals if, if they do that. Even if they if they can, you know, do it to where it's still the Pac-12 and it's not them joining the Mountain West. Um, as far as twenty in the Big Twelve, I just, I don't see that right now. But you know, <laughs> I didn't see this coming. Three weeks ago, either um, this mass exodus. Um, So obviously, the Big 12 is going to have to redo schedules and stuff. What do you think um, they're gonna? How how do you think they're gonna draw up divisions for the Big 12? Because obviously, you're going to have to go to two divisions.
1: I'm gonna guess it'll be East West. Uh, That way, the teams in the central part of the conference will have. Equally, you know, long trips to take. I don't think they'll do north, south, or anything like that. But I would guess it'll be, you know, what Utah, BYU, Arizona, Colorado, Kansas. Uh, I would imagine uh, Kansas and Kansas State will have to be in the same division. It will be interesting though to see what they do with Oklahoma State and Iowa State because both of them will probably be right on the edge. I think of of an east west format, and I think that um, Oklahoma State would probably be better suited in this in the with the you know what the Texas teams? I guess Texas Tech would probably be in a Western Division too, uh, due to their location out in West Texas, which again kind of makes it interesting. You know, does the does Oklahoma State go to the West or does Iowa State go to the West? Because geographically, it would probably make more sense to put Iowa State toward the West, even though that they're further east. <laughs> right? Did I make your head spin there?
0: Oh, it's it has been spinning and it's it's, it's gaining speed again. Um, uh, that I think the other interesting thing that I see happening in here, in this conference realignment, is the ACC. Um, they could potentially be in trouble. Um, you've seen Florida State has publicly stated the potential of bolting out of the ACC. Uh, I have heard Virginia and Virginia Tech maybe being courted by the Big Ten, and I think. We saw how fast the dominoes fell. Now, it is, it's different. They have a much better and longer strung out. I think their media deal I saw goes somewhere into the 20, 2035, 2036 or something like that. But if the dominoes start to fall, do you think the ACC ultimately is in any kind of uh, near-term trouble?
1: From a football perspective, it would just take the loss of, well, Florida State and Clemson. Oh, and that's that, that. That's it for that conference in football. Um, I, yeah, you still got Carolina and Duke uh, from basketball perspective. Tobacco Road, obviously. Uh, but boy, uh, and if you know, if one of those two, Florida State or Clemson, leaves, how quickly does the other one leave?
0: Mm, they're they're probably you're either looking at it of now we can really dominate or. It's going to be now. We have nobody to challenge us and, and, and build a resume on to, to you know to get into the championship uh, game. Of course, that's going to be going to twelve. We got to remember that that expands. Was that next season? Is that twenty twenty four when we go to twelve or
1: twenty five? That sounds right. Twenty
0: four. I think it's twenty four. So um, I think for now the ACC is okay. But again, I think it's going to take one or two moves, and we, and we could see things happen really quickly. For the ACC I, th- I think they're okay for now but uh, yeah that's where that's where we stand as of right now um, with the conferences and by the time we get back together you know it could be there could be more changes I, I don't foresee anymore but uh, it's crazy I, again I hate it I hate these huge conferences like this I hate the thought of 20 team there's no way you can play everybody even even in basketball can you can you play everybody in a 20 team conference in basketball
1: no, you're probably playing your division and then half the teams from the other division.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, we will we will see what happens. Um, so it's amazing. It wasn't that long ago where the Big 12 was going to be where the Pac-12 is now. And now it's the Pac-12 almost gone. Uh, that's the regular topics for tonight. Again, we'll have a football-heavy podcast when we get together next time. But we will move on to your final thoughts.
1: Well, here's kind of my radical idea for conference realignment, Scott. All right. Okay. How about we just kind of let football kind of align however they want to align, uh, whatever that might be. If they want to make every, you know, make super conferences, whatever. Just just do football however you want to do football and then really go back to regionalizing every other conference. What do you, what, what, what do you think of something like that where maybe, you know, I, I just worry, I mean, look, it's, it's not going to be easy even for football, but really across the board, I mean, how, how, how are some of these schools going to afford sending, you know, Central Florida to go play BYU? Is that, they're just going to send them the, the soccer team out there just for one game? I mean, I can't imagine how much that would cost, Scott. And you're going to do that across the board? So I think my, my radical idea for, for college athletics is to let football kind of do what they want, kind of have – let them break away from the NCAA and kind of do things however they want to do them and then regionalize the conferences elsewhere. So that means, that means maybe going back to the Big 12 as we originally had it. Uh, I, yeah, I think that would be um, – I think it would be a lot more fun for the fans Uh, If you just kind of separate football and let football kind of do their thing, I think, again, you know, when you got college basketball, you got college baseball, volleyball, whatever, softball, it really kind of regionalized that. You know, try try to maintain that that sense of uh, regional rivalries because, I mean, let's face it, Scott, I mean, Kansas isn't going to be rivals with BYU or Central Florida anytime soon. I mean, who really gives a crap about that? (laughs) I mean, it's kind of funny that – well, not really – well, it is funny. You know, a lot of the people in the SEC still don't consider Missouri a part of the conference. Heck, Scott, there's some old-time SEC people that don't even consider Arkansas a part of the conference still. And they've been in that conference since, one, like the late 80s, early 90s?
0: Early, yeah, somewhere in there.
1: So, I, I just, I, I would love to have some kind of a compromise where we all know this is this is mainly football-related uh, and driven. So, go ahead, let, let's, let's, let's separate football from this. Uh, align how you, however you want, you want to keep, maintain your... BYU versus you know West Virginia conference okay that's fine but then we we can get back to regionalizing the conferences for the other sports
0: well you could even maybe I'll build upon that idea a little bit let's let's take what the Big 12 will currently look like next season with 16 teams could you possibly even break the conference down into let's for, for lack of a better term, pods, like four, you know, take the take, uh, Cincinnati, Central Florida, um, I'm just throwing the teams out here, say the, the furthest East teams, put them in a four-team pod, call it, you know, the, the Big 12 East, and maybe set up the Big 12 West with Arizona State, Arizona, um, Utah, Colorado, then have the, the Big 12 Central, maybe the Big 12 South with your Texas schools, for these other sports uh, and then have, you know, say for soccer, you take your four division winners and you have a, a, you know, a a pool play and the top two play each other for the big 12 championship. Could you see anything like that? Maybe breaking some of those other sports to where you're not traveling as far. It makes more economical sense. Yet you get everybody together to, to still determine that conference champion.
1: Yeah, I have seen a couple uh, suggestions from people who have said the you know, maybe like if you go to a 16-team conference, you know, divide it by you know have like an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference, and then have like divisions within those conferences. So that way you're still playing. Kate, you know, if you're you know in theory you would have what maybe Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, and I'm just throwing this fourth team out there, Oklahoma State. So you're still playing them twice a year. Uh, pretty much in every sport. So that's already six games. And then maybe you play everybody in your conference uh, once you know, uh, as well. And then maybe then you just kind of have based on how the standings were last year, you play four teams from the other conference. So, I mean, how many games would that be? That would be six, uh, 10, that'd be 14 conference games right there. That, that That's not a bad number right there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I could see it, you know, put uh, BYU, Utah, Arizona, Arizona state, you got great, built in rivalries right there in those four you know call that the west KUK State Oklahoma State Iowa State again good rivalries there there's your central your south could be your your all your Texas schools Houston joins Baylor TCU Texas Tech and then you take your your eastern schools the Cincinnati the the, the UCF um and those schools and and there there's your division I think I think you could have some um some really Still, you playing. You're still playing your rival in those sports. Yet, you're still gonna get together and have a, you know, a, what if you want to call it a conference tournament or playoff or whatever to determine the conference champion and, and to make it more economical than than sending, like you said, Central Florida's volleyball team to to to, to go play um, Utah on a Tuesday night.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a pretty good idea. I just I just don't see how long term. I mean, Scott, have you thought about how Maryland and Rutgers are going to have to play UCLA in Big Ten play? I mean, I just don't see the benefit of that in any capacity.
0: I, I, I don't either. I, I think it's – yeah. I, I think what these conferences, mega conferences are banking on is that the, the deals media-wise that they're going to get for football, men's and women's basketball, is going to be above and beyond – what it costs to support those other sports, even going cross country. I think that's what they're banking on—that the that money is going to be so big that they can still do it. I, I really think that's what they're planning on.
1: Yep, yep, I would agree that the the it's obviously money driven, and uh, I, I don't I don't even want to proclaim I know what's going to happen long term, but it would it would be nice in some capacity to return to some regional rivalries. It really would. Um,
0: you and I both hate seeing KU get to stomp Missouri on a regular basis. So uh, my final thought, Brad, I'm going to kind of give a little shout out as we we, we like to acknowledge, you know, people in our lives for big accomplishments. Um, This goes to a young man. We, we, we watched him grow up. His parents were in the church. We go to uh, Tanner George. He's been the head men's golf coach over at Sterling college. And I hope I get the years, I believe for the last eight years, um, as a player, uh, he went to Nickerson high school, um, then played golf at Sterling college, still holds several of the individual, uh, men's golf records at Sterling, um, led Sterling to their first ever men's conference championship in 2022, um, was just hired, Brad, as an assistant coach at the University of Oklahoma. Wow. Just uh, just actually moved down there last week, um, and his, his dad has shown me some pictures. They're actually getting ready, Brad, after the, the fall part of their season. They're going to be actually operating out of trailers because they're going to be completely redoing the women's golf facility. Yes, there is just a women's golf facility. For, at norman in the men's golf facility and go on to the volleyball facility and all it's just it's unbelievable um the amount of money they're going to be putting into that program down in there he's he's done camps with the um one of the men's coaches that's how he had a connection down there but um he's going to be having his first child here in september um so just wanted to give a big shout out it's it's, it's we're going to miss seeing him around he he's, he was always working on the football days he was an assistant with coach Bassett and the women's basketball team there at Sterling Um, we're going to miss seeing him around but um, fantastic opportunity for for him and his wife um, to go down to Norman as an assistant coach and you never know what doors um, that can open for him in the future but I want to kind of say a shout out that 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 is a that's a great accomplishment and a great opportunity
1: for him I still think Tanner George is two years removed from high school. Are you sure he's old enough to be a coach at Oklahoma? I think he's 32. Oh, he's not 32. He's like 20 right now. I mean, obviously, I covered Tanner a lot back in the day, especially in in soccer. And um, you probably didn't realize he was a pretty good soccer player back in the day, did you?
0: He was. He was a soccer player, played on a a really good Nickerson boys basketball team back with Troy Smith
1: and uh, um,
0: Braden Thompson. Um, Really good team then.
1: Yeah, Blazik McBride was a player on that team. They, they had some pretty good players on that team. Uh, definitely a good time in Nickerson Athletics. Yeah, T- Tanner, I always, I always appreciated him. He seemed like a pretty good dude. And I, I have uh, kind of, from, from a distance, followed him a little bit. I know that he was over at Strowing and was doing a lot of good things out there. But boy, uh, I, I don't know how many coaches get the chance to go from uh, KCAC to the uh, Big 12 slash SEC, but um, more power to him. I I'm sure he's going to do some good things there.
0: Yeah, I, I think he is, too. And, again, you never know, down the road does a good job there, the, the opportunities um, that will bring for him. So congratulations, Tanner. We'll, we'll miss you around Sterling, but I, I think you're going to do very, very well at OU. So, again, right here, probably about a week and a half, uh, we'll be having our football preview. We'll look at the KCAC, the Jayhawks, um, heavy into high school, as well. So, so stay tuned for that. But for tonight's view from the press box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next time.